Hello again, my friends, and welcome to Jorgensen Soundbox, a sandbox of sounds. This is a show for builders, investors, and internet adventurers. And today, I finally talked with a Dutch man I've followed on Twitter for more than six years now. Bram Konstein is a professional at fucking around on the internet and shows us exactly how that has paid off for him and can pay off for you. After working as an investor and at Product Hunt, he has built dozens of products, sold at least three of them, and just generally had a bunch of other stuff work out for him. We talk about building products specifically that are fun for us to work on and how to sell micro products quickly and easily, in his case, for Ethereum, which worked out. Uh, And we get into Web3 at the end, how he's currently just minted his own new NFT collection and some of the problems and technologies that we're working on as Web3 gets adopted. Please enjoy this conversation arriving at your ears in three, two, one. Bram, it's good to talk to you, man. I've been following you on Twitter for a very long time um, and looking forward to talking. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, Right back at you. So happy to be here. It's it's pretty weird to get into a, like an actual like face to face in person conversation. Who's just been like a Twitter person for so long? Um, yeah, but I really I feel like it's a lot of shared history to dig into, and it should be it should be really fun. Cool man. I I think I started uh, following you around when you were building uh, startup stash, which is like a complete whirlwind situation. Um, uh, I I think that's probably a good story to start with. Uh, kind of set you up. Yeah. Um. I've told the story many times, so I'll, I'll give you like the, the, the quick, <laughs> like the TLDR. Um, but like back in early 2015, I was working at an investor. And, um, you know, as part of my work, I was just uh, gathering tools as bookmarks in my, in my browser, basically like tools mm-hmm. and videos and blog posts, etc. And around the same time, um, I discovered Product Hunt. And I uh, instantly fell in love with it. Like I love being an early adopter of like new products and startups and services. So um, mm-hmm. I begged Ryan, the founder, to to let me on. Right, right then it was just invite only. But eventually I got on and and started posting stuff there, like discoveries, like things I found. And then at one point I thought, well, hey, I think I know how this like early stage startup thing works, uh, and I have plenty of ideas. Um, and maybe I can prove to myself that I know how to, you know, turn an idea from my head into a product and launch it and, and get a little traction. Um, so that's what I, I set out to do. And eventually I turned all of those bookmarks that I had, like uh, all these handy tools and resources for startups. I turned that into a um, what I called a curated directory of resources and tools for startups. Yeah. And um, yeah, that really, really blew up from the moment that I launched it. And yeah, actually from launch day, I already, you know, achieved my personal goal of translating an idea from my head into a product. Yeah. Everything after that was uh, was bonus. Uh, so it, it went pretty viral, ended up on like uh, big sites. Eventually, I think over a million people used it. And um, after two years running it as a business, I, I also sold it. Yeah, well, so it was, it was one number one on product on certainly when it happened but like for a long time after right it's still actually i looked it up last week yeah because i saw i think the amount of users on product hunt or or something like that or someone mentioned it and then i looked up like hey where where does startup stash still stand and uh it's still number one of i don't know two hundred thousand products or something that's insane super fun five years later after all of the growth that product hunts had uh yeah that's wild what, why do you think it went so, uh, it got so big so fast? Yeah, I, I think that's a super fun question because, um, um, well, now if people go to startupstash.com, they'll see that it looks a bit different. Uh, but in the beginning, it was basically 40. So, so I'm not a developer, uh, but I wanted to do everything myself. So eventually I found a directory theme for WordPress mm. and I basically just deleted all the code from the from the source files that I didn't need, and uh, tweaked that theme uh, together with uh, with a developer friend who helped me when I uh, <laughs> um, when I got stuck. Uh, yeah. But the, but the first website was just forty orange blocks, basically, mm. um, nothing fancy uh, design wise, etc. Um, but I think what people really appreciated was that I did the work, uh, the curation work, basically. So. 
Um, I had 40 categories starting at like naming, buying a domain, uh, mm. all the way up to, let's say, like investor relations or something like that. Um, and each category had 10 tools, but they were not, you know, ranked one to 10. It was just like, hey, if you're searching for a place to buy a domain name or an email marketing tool, then these are my 10 suggestions. That was basically my promise. Like, no review, whatever. It's mm-hmm. just like, hey, there's a thousands, uh, there are thousands of email marketing tools, but you know, if you check out these 10, you'll probably find one that, that suits you. So that was kind of the promise. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was really fun to see that curation that I really liked, uh, well, put into practice within a product, that yeah. that was what people actually... Uh, valued, I think, well, you have the same uh, with, uh, with the Almanac, right? Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. That's I'm also... a deep believer in the power of curation, for yes, sure. Yes, totally. So yeah. I think that's what people saw. And, and so that was like one lesson I, uh, I learned. But the other one was that I really believe that your first product, if it delivers value, uh, it doesn't matter what it looked like, uh, what it looks like, uh, because, yeah, well, my first version was 40 orange blocks no images, <laughs> nothing. And people still value it. So I think, yeah, yeah, that is that. Like, um, and, and also finding the right audience together with that. So I was active on Product Hunt, but also in the startup community. So yeah, I built some, some leverage in that domain. And then at one point, uh, when I launched the product, people were also like, hey, this guy can not only talk about this <laughs> stuff, but he actually built a thing uh, and it's actually valuable. So a combination yeah. of those, uh, yeah. those things, yeah. You were already pretty well known um in in like the european startup community by then by the time you launched it right or would you do you think that's not necessarily i don't, very... I don't know i i don't know if i would, <laughs> I would call it that but i okay i, I think so the curation I did, hunt, though, right like on yeah as a yeah later after after okay. that launch oh, like, after okay yeah so um when i discovered product launch uh product hunt um it was invite only and it was a lot of silicon valley just type mm-hmm. people where ryan hoover the founder uh, was, was active and yeah. I think I was one of the first people in Europe. And that's what I also sent to Ryan. Like, can you please let me in? Because I'm in Europe. I, I find fun and interesting new products um, in Europe. That was already what I was doing with my personal newsletter and like on yeah. Twitter, just sharing what I found. So Product Hunt was basically the tool for my hobby. Um, yeah. And then that that is when I kind of yeah, translated that curation or the discovery of new startups from my Twitter account to a yeah. platform uh, at Product Hunt. And that's what got me uh, a, a bit more known about, you know, around that. It's pretty yeah. awesome to, uh, to repurpose all that work you put in at your day job too. Like how, how awesome to just like... Yeah, that's, that's super fun because I eventually I launched with 400 resources and tools, but I think mm-hmm. I had like 700 bookmarks or, or something that I, yeah, I, I I drew from. Yeah. So it was it was just a nice combination of things that I like to do and like to discover and then yeah. trying out something new and, and just putting those things together. Yeah. Yeah. There, I think there's a lot of um there's a lot more opportunity for that than people probably realize. Like now that I'm I don't work at, at Zarly anymore, I'm just like publishing some of the papers and stuff that I wrote for internal use that are now that there's no, no context for anymore. And I think it's like helpful to kind of bring that stuff out. And like, oh, that, that's like an applicable thing. Like other people would find that interesting. I can share that. Yeah, I think the concept of doing the work so that other people don't have to around yeah. certain types of content that certain types of people want, that is already enough. And then it doesn't matter how you even uh, present that, right? I mean, there's a bunch of products of people selling access to Airtable databases or what they call swipe files like Notion packages, etc. Mm-hmm. I mean, that can be already uh, enough to to even create a, like a job or or a company for yourself. Yeah. So so startup stash uh, you said you ran it as a company for a little while in there. What like what was what was it as a company? It's a, it's you described it kind of as a product, but how did it did it make money through affiliate links? Yeah. So so. That's why I eventually don't really call it a company or like a startup. It was basically just me and some freelancers that I briefed from time to time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I made money from promoted products, uh, like featured on the homepage um, and in the newsletter. So basically that. So I think I've, I think on average was like uh, like like four or five k a month. That's uh, But that's amazing. Uh, I, I think yeah. as, as a side side business. Yeah. For and something you put together in a few months, that's amazing. 
yeah, that's super fun. And eventually, I think, you know, that that this exercise of, of yeah, turning an idea from my head into a product really showed me like the magic of the internet. Like you can reach yeah. so many people just as as like a one man band. Um, mm-hmm. And eventually, that also in 2017, I was talking to a guy in uh, Tel Aviv, Israel, uh, on a call, and I was introduced by someone else that I only knew from Twitter. I don't know. It was just like through this person and that person. And we were talking and he asked me like, hey, how's Startup Session going? And I said, oh, yeah, well, it's going pretty well, but I'm, I'm, I'm more of an ideas guy. Like I like to turn an idea from my head into a thing, see if it works, and then just move on to, to, to like a new thing. And so he told me, oh, that's cool. So what kind of you know, amount are you looking for if you want to sell it? And then I just named an amount and then he was like, okay. And I was like, what? <laughs> what <laughs> So yeah, that, that, that was that. And I think, yeah, that uh, also like going full circle with that is just a fun, fun experience. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever think you were going to sell it? Well, I thought about it up until when I had that call, that was actually the first time that I shared it. And mm-hmm. yeah, we just had like a fun, enthusiastic conversation. So I just decided to go with it. Like it felt good. That's awesome. Are you, are you cool with sharing like what, uh, sort of price range that that earned at? Uh, well, I can share the exact amount, but the fun thing is that um, I also really like to look at um, a new platform called MicroAcquire, where where mm. well, you you obviously know, but I'll share for your for your audience for <laughs> people who don't know. Like that's where uh, people like independent um, businesses, I think, like startups, um, I think, without outside equity or outside investment, mostly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put up their companies um, uh, for sale or their products for sale. And I think even for for companies that are doing like 3K a month, uh, they are listing for 250K or, or something like that. Well, I did more a month and I sold for less. So maybe a bit too <laughs> maybe that answers <laughs> your question. Uh, so maybe a bit too early, but it was just, yeah, again, like it was a fun exercise. And I also think like over the years, those prices just went up and up and up because people are, are just in general more interested in buying like internet businesses, right? So um, I don't know. Does that answer your question? A little, <laughs> a, a little bit. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, uh, I tried just, to make it more than just a no. you succeeded at making it more than just a no Um, no i think i mean i think the the world of the micro acquisitions is really really interesting and it's it's getting like i don't know this like didn't exist five or ten years ago really or if it did I, i wasn't following it or aware of it um but it seems like there's a lot of businesses of of a huge variety of sizes that get transacted now um and i think like increasingly you see businesses for sale for like 50 or a hundred thousand dollars that yeah. one person you just save up and buy and you know everything newsletters and seo things and like you know affiliate blogs and um or micro SaaS apps like these little calm companies and stuff and it's really it's actually really fun to like just browse all the prospectuses and see what's for sale yeah i think that's super inspiring just just by itself just yeah. to see like and, and also for me from when I was younger, like I just like to see what people are working on, right? Like when yeah. someone pitch, pitches an idea, um, and, and maybe you have the same experience. Like I always have like questions or comments, or <laughs> sometimes I think like, why the hell would you work on this? But then my second thought is, well, this person is actually working on this idea, so there is something yeah. that I don't that I don't see, right? Like, yeah, and, and yeah. I want to I want to figure that out. Like, what is that? Yeah. What what do I don't get? Then and, and yeah, like in general, it's just super fun to see what people are are are, are working on uh, just to, from the from like serious ideas to super quirky ideas yeah in general i think it's just inspiring to check that out and it's like seeing blueprints for businesses you know it's it's, a, it's like uh the building blocks of a bunch of different things and you see you know a, a prospectus for a business that maybe you know isn't in your area of expertise but you're like oh wow this guy built a you know hunting blog that's doing 100 grand a year or yeah. 100 grand a yeah. month like with these tools and these you know freelancers like oh i could do the same thing but about i don't know swimming or like whatever you're interested in right yeah man i totally agree like yeah. like what i said about the one man band thing that is getting increasingly easier every day as yeah. like operations wise i think ideas wise 
and finding niches, etc. Like cutting through the noise gets more difficult every day. But when you have an idea that gets like early traction, you can just, you know, run a, a company like, you yeah. know, uh, and, and pay yourself and freelancers uh, a, a, a good salary or a good fee. And then you can live, you know, like, um, like super well. And I think, yeah. I think that is just amazing. Like just to see that. So were you still, um, were you still working full time at the investor when you were running startup stash and sold it? Uh, no, actually when on the day I launched startup stash was yeah. my last day at the investor. <laughs> and, Before and, you even and, knew what was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe this is fun to, to add to the story because I, um, I knew I was going to quit my job and then, um, before I quit, uh, Ryan of Product Hunt, he asked me, like, hey, do you want to work uh, uh, in Europe for Product Hunt? And so then I thought, yeah, Silicon Valley, a growing Silicon Valley startup with Andrews and Horowitz funding, you know, let's go. That's a, that's a no-brainer to just have that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I launched Startup Session like February 25th. And then somewhere in March, like three, four weeks later, I was starting with Product Hunt. So then mm-hmm. I thought, okay, in between... I should go to San Francisco because I, you know, love reading about this stuff. Never been there. I should go to, you know, uh, the startup place. Uh, so I went to a launch conference in mm. uh, San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, I knew no one. Uh, I just got one tip like, hey, make a list of people you want to meet. So I did. And I tried to get intros. And on uh, uh, after the launch of uh, Startup Stash went viral, I wrote a, a Medium article about like how how I constructed the launch and the product, et cetera. Um, I think that got read like, like also like 20,000 times or something. But one of the uh, people who liked it was Hunter Walk. He's an investor from uh, yeah. San Francisco. Uh, Homebrew, I think is the fund's name. And he was on top of my list. I thought it was super cool. Like I wanted to meet him. So when I saw he liked my Medium article, I just called, DM'd him. And I said, I made Startup Stash. I'm in SF next week. Uh, can we meet? Are, are you at launch? Can we meet? And he was like, yes. <laughs> just DM me when you're there. And I was like, what? I just got like the number one person from uh, from my uh, my my list. And I, that's yeah, awesome. again, that for me, that's like internet magic. I don't know. I, and then I was walking around the conference and I think like 40, 50 people just approached me from recognizing my Twitter avatar. Like, hey, you made Startup Stash <laughs> last week. And why are you here? And I was like, why do you know me? You know, like, that is just... <laughs> Super fun to um, to experience. So um, yeah, after that, I worked for Product Hunt uh, almost a year, uh, and then after that, uh, I went on to to something new. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it, I should say, like your startup stash is not the only product that you have built and then sold. And I think you've two or three times now you've built something. Uh, like, three, three. Yeah. Damn. All right. Yeah. So. Um, just simple. These are not unicorn acquisitions. But, no, I know, but, but like fun exercises. But that's kind of what makes yeah. it like really cool to me. It's like I don't assume. Um, I, I don't know where this came from, but like I have in my head that like stuff doesn't get. It's not sellable unless it's of a certain size. Um, and like, so seeing these acquisitions that are like one man band acquisitions of products that you build and startup stash was like eight months from you launching it to you selling it, right? Uh, no, I think that that was a bit longer. Was uh, it? I don't know the exact timeline. <laughs> I think it's more than it's, I think it's more than a year, but but not long. Not a long, um, yeah. No, but other ones. Uh, so once I sold the email publication, also you know geared towards startups, but then um, more with like background stories. So that was really focused on content. Uh, I think that had like eleven thousand uh, subscribers, but that was also two thousand like eighteen. So. Yeah. I think like both of these like products or um, or projects were kind of before more people knew about you know sellable newsletters or mm-hmm. sellable one man band uh, products. So uh, I think I also got uh, um, yeah was early in like like doing that. Uh, yeah, this this may be like a question that actually begets many more questions. But how uh, how do you sell these little products? Like who who are you selling them to? How is it different yeah. from you know maybe my conception of what a an acquisition of a of a larger company is? Like what's what's the niche like? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a nice question uh, because when 
I was on the phone with the guy from Tel Aviv and I said, yeah. yes. And he's like, and, and I said, or he said, yes. And I said, okay. Then I was like, what the hell? <laughs> like, yeah. how do I do it? How do I do this? Um, I think uh, like partially it's also based on, on trust. I think you're really, you know, like dealing with each other. There's like no lawyer legal stuff uh, going on. And mm -hmm. for startup stash, uh, it was fairly simple because it was a WordPress website. So I uh, transferred the hosting, transferred the domain, transferred Google Analytics. Uh, Two-page contract. I give you all the rights, uh, you know, uh, all, all, all the content, all the brand, all the design stuff. Um, I don't know if that's just it. Basically, it was two two pages. And then, you know, a, a call like uh, like this, just like a Zoom call, just transferring everything live, um, and they paid like uh, thirty percent upfront, seventy percent afterwards. Mm. Uh, that's kind of what we did. In the end, pretty simple. When it started, I was like, I have no clue. Uh, but when I sold the newsletter, I actually dusted off the two-page contract, and I just did, uh, yeah, I did the same. And I mean, like with with a lot of public tools that you use you can you know invite other people as collaborators etc so you can add another person and then remove yourself right and then they are the owner so um yeah pretty pretty easy actually i think uh the short answer is just trust um but interesting that you can even do that from a distance right we went yeah. at the at the same table yeah what, what's the um like what's the value to the buyers in in most of these cases right are they buying like um, like an SEO shortcut in the fact that like you have all these links and goodwill and subscribers or like what, what is the appeal to them with some of these products? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. So the first thing I sold was, um, I think that's actually the most fun, fun story. That was a, a website that I created full with just no code tools. So I used cards, uh, mm. and Airtable to create a website called roadtoskill.com, which is also with, uh, resources, um, uh, or like content resources for startups, but then um, uh, cut up into the, the 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 different phases that a startup goes through, uh, right? So okay. identifying a problem, creating the solution, product market fit, and then scale. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to show what you can do. Uh, again, like the thesis, the thesis, it doesn't have to be uh, super technical or super fancy. Uh, if it delivers value, then it delivers value, and people appreciate it. So. Mm -hmm. um, I launched that and in six weeks, I think like 30,000 people used it. Uh, oh. And then uh, a VC from Silicon Valley bought it just because they were thinking of doing the same, but I already did the work. <laughs> so they were like, well, yeah, then we save time uh, and money eventually. Uh, so they bought it. Uh, that was definitely not a life-changing amount. But again, just a fun like example of delivering value to the certain to, to the right type of audience and and then yeah it kind of goes by itself yeah it's, it's almost like uh yeah you're almost like a commissioned artist except you're like making it for yourself and then somebody's deciding to buy the work that you have done like yeah so then then afterwards i think it's always interesting so okay i made three products that i sold but i think i you know burned i don't know 25 other just ideas <laughs> that eventually didn't work out which is yeah. fine but I always think like, hey, if you can learn one or or, or two things from a failed uh, project, then you know eventually mm -hmm. that accumulates to uh, to knowing what to do or what not to do, and also from you know even a simple a project as the road to skill one, uh, exactly what you say. I think it's interesting that it kind of validates, hey, I think I should do it in this way. It's just my point of view. And then like mm -hmm. other people validate that I did it in the right way. And then yeah. even uh, a, a company like like a venture capitalist um, or an organization like a VC uh, recognizes that too. So it's just like a nice validation of, hey, I, I'm thinking in a certain way that connects with other people. Just just that is already enough uh, for me at least to, yeah. to be happy about the, the outcome. And then it's not even about the money. Right? <laughs> And you're not designing you're not designing these things in order to build necessarily right you're just like doing them for you as projects and yeah 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 all of, all of them yeah how do you think about your day-to-day -day work like how do you prioritize all these projects how do you um how do you describe like what you do yeah 
Oh, that's funny, actually. Yeah, well, now now I'm consulting for for a big uh, company, like on on innovation practices and like oh, validating yeah. new new ideas. Yeah. Um, but I obviously still have ideas <laughs> myself. But what is funny is that um, I'm, I'm I always have the like the perfectionist battle, basically, or like mm-hmm. no, not not even just perfectionist, but also just finishing one thing before you start another thing <laughs> yeah. i don't know if that's space in your head or I don't, I don't know how to define that but um um i have one idea it's called seedrounds.eu uh it's basically uh, a service where i sell airtable access to investors mm. uh, to improve their deal flow so i want to source seed rounds deals in europe um pre-vet them basically, and then share them uh, in, in a paid database to uh, to investors. So I'm kind of working on that, but then also I have uh, an online course called No Code MVP um, that I launched two, year, two years ago, uh, where I'm teaching now, I think 700 people how to validate their ideas without code. Yeah. And yeah, first in my mind, I have to like, I don't know, shelf that, you know, <laughs> put it on the shelf yeah. before I really spend time with like a new idea and i think that's always an interesting battle but i try to uh, yeah work on that in my in my free days and uh, and, and after work uh, when i when i have time yeah uh, but yeah then there's also stuff like crypto and all these things that uh, you know get my attention so uh, um yeah, yeah, time allocation is a challenge sometimes. <laughs> yeah, this is, um, I ask almost everybody who I end up having a good long conversation with, especially on this podcast, that question because I'm hunting for the answer myself and just getting comfortable with the ambiguity of like, I don't know, just find a, I think of an idea and if I think it's a good one, I do it. And if it becomes clear that it's a bad one, I stop and like, just, just roll through but stuff. Honestly, it's yeah. as simple as that, basically. Yeah. And I think... It, even just that mindset of, um, and and I, I talk about this in, in that course, like I always try to put it in a certain frame for myself, which mm-hmm. I know is the right thing, but just like I told you now, I'm not always doing myself. Yeah. But I always say like, you know, if you have a new idea, you you should be aware of the fact that an idea is just a combination of, you know, lots of assumptions uh, other inspirational products that you saw or a certain idea or feeling with the market, etc. So, you know, you have to validate at least those, those assumptions in a certain way so that you get a bit more like certainty around that idea. And I always try to just frame that within, I always say like time, money and motivation. Mm. So for example, the next two months, I'm going to spend, uh, I don't know, a thousand dollars max to get an answer to these three, uh, you know, uh, most riskiest assumptions that I have around this idea, and um, after eight weeks or four weeks, whatever you know, you set that for yourself. Um, you know, I check out if it still satisfies me or not, and and then if it gives me like the same amount of motivation that I had from the start, and if I even have the slightest sense of you know this is not going to be a thing, like you said, then it's just okay. What did I learn from this? Uh, and then and then just move on. And I think. Uh, that mindset, like if more people would adopt that, you, there would be way, I think, better or, or sometimes more interesting products because I see way too many people just lingering and clinging on to an idea and falling in love, etc. While just you know the ideas don't really matter. It's what what you and and the, and the word is you. What you do with it, and if you find it fun, yeah. right? If you get inspiration from from working on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that idea it is so tough to find the balance between because I, I i believe two truths that seem to conflict which is like one <laughs> that uh things that tend to work tend to work right away and obviously and quickly and and that like you know complex ideas that work come from simple ideas that work um so i think that is true mm-hmm. and i also think it is true that all good things are on the other side of like hard work and grit and persistence and like fighting through things that are, um, you know, tolerating ambiguity to make it to the other side of that. And like, it's so hard to know which of those camps that you're in. Um, it almost comes down to personality type. You know, I see people like you who just launch a ton of products and a few of them hit. And I think there's other people who are like, 
pick a direction to march and like they're like i will make this one SaaS app work if it is it the works. last thing yeah. i do and like it takes them 15 years but they break through on this one trajectory and like that also works i couldn't agree more and and, and yeah it's a it's an interesting thought exercise for yourself right because mm-hmm. i'm definitely not the latter <laughs> <laughs> But I've seen that work too, right? Yeah. And sometimes I even see like famous investors or entrepreneurs say, yeah, you should, you know, put on your blinds and just go. Yeah. And then I'm always like, no, but then <laughs> these people are still successful. So there's a weird contradiction uh, 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 between this. But in the end, I think it's about just staying, I want to say like objective mm-hmm. to yourself, right? I also think that different people have different um or, or let's say they need different amounts of validation or certainty to pursue an idea. So mm-hmm. I'm in general pretty risk averse. So I have to have, I want to say like 50% certainty about a certain idea. And then I spend more time, money and effort. But there's also people that just go well all in with like 5% certainty and they just <laughs> do it. Yeah. You know, there's no right or wrong, but I think that difference is super interesting to to see in different types of like entrepreneurial people too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, where where in Europe are you? I'm in the Netherlands. I uh, I used to live in Amsterdam, but now uh, I live in The Hague, next to the beach, almost. So, uh, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, so the The Hague is. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's like the only city I can name that starts with the. It's always held like this crazy mystery <laughs> for me, and it feels so like. Uh, it feels just based on like that brand, like an incredibly unique city. But I realize now I actually have no idea what the Hague is like. Anyway, <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it's like uh, it's the Washington of the Netherlands, right? So okay. it's um, or well, uh, it's as in there's like all the government stuff is here and yeah. all the embassies. Uh, while Amsterdam is, of course, the um, the capital. Um, but yeah, I think in general, just describing a city to well, I don't know your audience, but especially to American people, like, I don't know, there's 800,000 people in Amsterdam. I think there's four or 500,000 here. So that's mm. very small I think, yeah. in comparison to to anything uh, stateside. Um, so I think to you, but also to me, it, it just feels more like a town, like mm-hmm. a small town. You can bike anywhere, and especially 10 minutes from the beaches. Um that that's super fun. That's beautiful. Yeah. Is it is it it like chill vibes? Is it like uh, San Diego in the United States where everyone like? I think so. Yeah, it's like a beach surfing <laughs> okay. city. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's like smart, but doesn't like work. You know, hundred hour weeks like they do in New York. It's like the beaches right there. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's sometimes sometimes my thoughts when I'm like on a terrace. I want to say on a Wednesday at three p.m. And then yeah. I always think like, hey, don't these people have to work? And then I think like oh but i'm I'm here too but it's just that yeah that chill vibe that's awesome yeah that's good that's good living uh yeah so uh, you said a few minutes ago um that you are now like getting into crypto um which it seems like increasingly a lot of people who are kind of on the early adopter uh side of the startup world are turning their attention to um so Mm -hmm. i'd love to kind of get your personal like rabbit hole story on when it kind of started to grab your attention, how you, when you kind of dove in and um, what you're doing with it now. Yeah. Uh, This is just a podcast by itself. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, no, no kidding. We got plenty of time uh, left. Carry on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Cool. Um, Yeah, dude, I think, I think I discovered Bitcoin, Litecoin and Litecoin in like 2013 or something. Yeah. Uh, I have no clue about prices back then, but I, I was a student or just starting to work at that investor. And um, I actually recently tweeted like the first video explainer I saw on uh, on Bitcoin. And I, I don't know, I just, I didn't get it instantly, but I thought, hmm, this, <laughs> nobody does. <laughs> this, has, this has like this, this, this anonymous hacky vibe, like, should be fun. Yeah. I don't know. That's kind of where the <laughs> rabbit hole started. Um, but eventually, you know, like I was in Europe and what I still like to do, um, yeah, like I just said before, like I, what I always like to do is just try out stuff. Like you can read about things, but you have to do, you have yeah. to like do it. And yeah. then 
you you get it gradually. So you have to spend some time and, well, in this case, also money to just experience it and then uh, maybe get it or maybe not. But just experiencing it instead of just reading about it, I think, is always uh, what I at least do. But yeah, I was in Europe. So how the hell do you buy like over-the-counter Bitcoin? Like, how does that work? I had a credit card, uh, but I couldn't pay with like my native debit card thing. Mm-hmm. Or my, my native debit card. So eventually, uh, you know, there were these exchanges. I think Mount Gox was there then or just got hacked. I don't know. I was on BTCE, I mm. can remember. But, uh, and there was a, there were a lot of tokens already, but there's one, I think, fun story is that eventually I figured out that I could buy um, with my credit card, I could buy Linden dollars. That's the currency in uh, Second Life. Oh. And then I could transfer those uh, Linden dollars to an exchange, exchange them for some obscure other token, and then go to BTC. But in order to get the Linden dollars, I actually had to download Second Life, create a character, walk <laughs> in in Second Life to an ATM. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I did this. Then I paid with my credit card. Then I got the Linden dollars. So I, let's say I got, I, I don't know how much I got. It doesn't really matter. But let's say I paid $100. I got $100 in Linden coins. I sent them to the exchange, exchanged them for some other token, and then to BTC. I think I had like $60 BTC from like the 100 <laughs> that, I, that I started. Like just, uh, I took away all the fees. And um, a bit later, I think Coinbase launched, and then you could connect with like, uh, uh, I don't know, what, what's that called? Where, where they just deduct it from your bank account. Yeah, so it, I have. It's ACH in America, but. Yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah, so I think uh, I I have emails, very uh, uh, emotional emails when I look them up, where I buy, I think, Bitcoin for 180 and sell a bunch for 400. (laughs) And they say, congratulations on selling. (laughs) Yeah, that's just, um, I was just figuring it out. And I think, I think like for about four months uh, with like a few friends, we really day traded. So, so from 2013 until like somewhere 2014, I don't know the exact dates of all the crashes, etc. But at one point, it just uh, I was day trading for like three, four months, and when I went to bed at night, I just saw the graphs everywhere, and I was just like, "Oh my god, this is way too much! I have no clue where this is going. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I believe in it, whatever." So then I sold, uh, I think like eight, eight Bitcoin or something. I don't know, made a few thousand dollars, was super happy, yeah. felt super cool. <laughs> um, and then I just forgot. I think there was like a big, big crash. And then I was like, oh, this is never, never yeah. going to work. And then um, in 2017, you know, when when the market again got back, I think I discovered also Ethereum at like $60, something, uh, that idea of, Bitcoin being like a monetary network and like an asset class uh, versus Ethereum being like a supercomputer network. I thought it was super, super interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, At the time, I thought Ethereum, I found Ethereum at $70, couldn't get in because I was spending money on a house, which really sucks. But then (laughs) at one point when I got the opportunity to sell Startup Stash, I thought, I asked the guy, the buyer, like, hey, do you have Ethereum? And he's like, yeah. And then I asked, like, hey, can we do this deal in Ethereum? And then he's like, okay, why why not? Yeah. Um, so I think we packed the price at like 270, 273, some, something like that. Um, so that's how I got uh, some Ethereum yeah. from that deal. And eventually the newsletter that I sold in 2018 also sold for Ethereum. That's awesome. Um, and put some Ethereum back into Bitcoin. So I'm, um, I, I like the fact that there's like other tokens and people yeah. are figuring things out. I think especially like 2014 when Dogecoin came out, we all laughed. We're like, oh, this is super funny. It's just like Palmer Jackson or what's <laughs> his name? Just him, no developers. He just like, yeah. he, he tweeted once, like, I'm just going to let this ride, whatever happens. <laughs> I think that was just like his thing. Um, and then in 2017, yeah, I got I got back back in. So mainly Bitcoin and Ethereum. And then 
Uh, when, I when did you start like using it? Because I, I think you're you're totally right um, that it takes feeling that you like experiencing it. You know, there's there's a lot of people, I, and even I, I spent a lot of time just reading and learning before doing it. And the more I started to kind of like put my hands in there, the more I the more I understood you what know, was happening. Totally, like no one's gonna forget their first few Bitcoin transactions. Yeah. Like sweating, like does this work? <laughs> I'm I'm putting in all these numbers and letters. Yeah, uh, what is this? You yeah. know, like first time I saw an Ether scan page, I was like, what is this? You know, like yeah. I have. <laughs> You're waiting for you twenty know, like, minutes where everything you own is just oh disappeared, yeah, but it so, hasn't reappeared anywhere else. Yes. Oh my god! And then and then you're thinking it's fun because I think what I like about Bitcoin and crypto in general, it's just like a combination of all these different things about economics, computer stuff, network effects, mental models. Like it all comes together in in basically in crypto. Like when I'm I'm thinking of my first few Bitcoin transactions. Exactly like you said, I was waiting for 20, 30 minutes. Like, is, is this going to work? And then I just realized, yeah, it's computer code. Like, I, I'm convinced. <laughs> I just read the white paper. I know this is how it works. I'm still sweating. I know <laughs> this is just, you know, ones and zeros. It's eventually it's going to work. And just that, like, that experience is just so much fun. And then you're uh, like, there's so much work to do on the UI. This could be so much more clear. You could yeah. show the progress. You could show the, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. There's just, yeah. And, um, uh, well, using it, I think, yeah, I really see Bitcoin as just like asset class. You know, I grew up with gold and silver is, uh, valuable and you should, you could or should have that basically, mm-hmm. uh, Bitcoin is almost flipping silver, which I think again, is a super interesting, like thought exercise, especially mm-hmm. for people like, like our generation that still knows silver is valuable well bitcoin is going to be more valuable than silver which yeah it's just i think i think pretty mind-blowing actually if mm-hmm. you put it in a bigger picture so I, I yeah i don't see buying bitcoin as buying it i see it as moving my money from a bank where i you know contractually do not own the money to an asset that i actually own um also, that I think is a step you have to take in your in your head yeah. <laughs> at some point, you know, where it's not like, yeah, where it's where it's like I'm by. It, it's like I have a stack of gold. I don't know. That's kind of how I how how I see it. Mm-hmm. That I that I you know almost physically own. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really interesting. And then Ethereum. Yeah, it's just been super interesting to see how it goes from, well, at one point we had late 2017 or 2018, we had like the whole ICO uh, stuff, but just discovering what are the applications of this supercomputer thing. Uh, now, basically, NFTs is the same as ICOs. You know, the white paper of an ICO is the roadmap of an NFT. Yeah. It's not really different uh, in, in tech. It's just different in application. It's, um, it is really, yeah. that's one, a piece where I think those of us who have seen sort of the um, explosion of startups and the creativity of developers and designers and all of the stuff that comes in there, like having any spent any time or meaningful amount of time in that, it gives you an appreciation for what, like how different Ethereum may be from a Bitcoin ecosystem, where when you have that, when that foundation layer allows so much different creativity and building and applications, then you get ICOs and you get DeFi and you get NFTs and you get all of these yeah. things that happen in that ecosystem um, that we're really just kind of getting started with. It's like a new app store, but like two levels down at actually the, the like internet infrastructure layer. Um, and yeah. I'm just so, I don't need to know what is going to happen to know that unpredictable, incredibly exciting innovative things are going to happen in that ecosystem because there's just too much energy for it not to. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. And I also adding to that, I think like the, there's there's some people that have, or there's sometimes there's a BTC or like a Bitcoin versus Ethereum discussion. I don't even think that's a discussion. They are two totally different things. So if yeah. someone says that they don't get Bitcoin and or e- Ethereum, like they are, they are different things. Yeah. Um, I think the main thing that I uh, I really believe in 
with the crypto stuff is just that that decentralized decentralized trust mechanism. I think that is the thing that mm-hmm. is that is disrupting a lot of traditional stuff. So whether it's you know the NFT or like asset ownership stuff or the DeFi stuff, it's like the the no middleman ultimate trust invention basically uh, at a distance also, right? Like we don't even have to be uh, in the same country or, or time zone, whatever, like all these things. I think that is just a super cool uh, invention. And and yeah, I agree. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but if you see the speed, like uh, I follow a lot of people in the crypto space and sometimes there's people that summarize like, okay, this month, this is this, this, this <laughs> happened. And it's like a thread of like 10 tweets yeah, that's just fun. It's just fun. Like not everything has to work, and yes, some things are scammy, you know. But that is exactly what this whole discovery part is about. It's just fucking around, like trying things out. You know? Yeah, um, which is your specialty. Yeah. It turns out, yeah, <laughs> super fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that, but the... you still, I think you still have you have to pay. Uh, you have to. Keep paying attention, basically, right? So what I said about selling all the Bitcoin that I had and then later getting back in. um, If I did a bit more work to get a bit more conviction, uh, Mm -hmm. convincement, uh, I would have had way more uh, Bitcoin than I have now, right? And I think the same goes for the Ethereum or or let's say the NFT stuff right now. Um, Actually, last week I looked up, uh, someone tweeted about when they joined OpenSea, when it had like 20,000 users in August 2020. Well, I joined April 2019. Mm -hmm. That's when I created my profile. Uh, I saw Bored Apes, didn't get in. I saw the Punks before, didn't get in. I saw VFriends, didn't get in. Like all, all these things. And I was just like, oh, this is silly. This is funny, whatever. I wasn't, you know, taking that extra step to to really, really dive in. And uh, and you see that it pays off to keep paying attention and keep trying out. Uh, so that's that's also a big lesson for me in, in general, I think. Yeah, the same prioritization challenge I have around, hey, which projects should I work on? It's the same thing around like, you know, what to study. Like there's, it, it takes time to build conviction. I mean, you were, you were early to Bitcoin and, but because you didn't have the, hadn't taken the time to, develop this long-term conviction it's really hard to hold on when you see a 2x or a 10x and that's how you miss the the thousand x but the i think you're I, I had to do the same exercise to go through how early are we really like once once this technology clicked for me and i used a few things it became clear that like this will eventually grow to consume the entire internet right like no one will be an internet user or very very few the minority will be an internet user without a wallet. Yes, like that seems clear once you click around in this shit for a little bit. Um, and so it's like, okay, if if you end up there, where are we today? And and that tweet you mentioned, um, actually I pulled it up while you were talking uh, from Nate Roth. Four, uh, four and a half billion internet users, 200 million internet uh, Twitter users, 10 million yeah. DeFi users, and 0.3 million OpenSea users, which means 0.009% of internet users own an NFT. And I think that's going to go to nearly 100%, which means we have like five orders of magnitude left (laughs) on this technology, right? Like, Well, you have the adoption curve, right? For sure. The the, the, the bell. Yeah. Um, Some people say we are in in the chasm. I think we're before even. Um... But yeah, I mean that's so that, that that I think that tweet three hundred k OpenSea users. I think it's at six hundred or seven hundred now. Mm-hmm. But Coinbase has launched their NFT waitlist, which has over two million people. So I, I, it's gonna, it's gonna, yeah, it's just gonna happen. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but people are making and, new and, new yeah. NFTs every day. So that's not that is no speculation on any existing NFT prices. But um, there's, do you follow uh, Punk six two five nine? Or six five. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So, like his prediction yeah. of like basically everything that you interact with 
is a non-fungible token or it's a future non-fungible token like everything in the world is non-fungible and all of these things will have tokens over the next 10 or 20 years yeah well i think him uh i think there's a rumor that like he's already well known but this is like a pseudonym or something Mm -hmm. i don't know like i i like what he tweets and maybe i'm it's just my skeptical nature but i think uh lots of times well, I mean, it worked with Bitcoin, right? Like talking something into existence. Bitcoin yeah. has been memed into <laughs> existence. So I think I think for the most part it's it's true. On the other 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 hand, yeah, yeah, maybe I'm a bit too skeptical. But sometimes I think like, um, yeah, you can kind of o- overdo it, then it becomes. I don't know, maybe too philosophical or something, like trying to be, you know, um, I don't know. But it's just fun to read. It's just fun to read like all these uh, just opinions and ideas. And I especially like that, again, maybe the theme of power of the internet, you don't even have to show your face to create an audience now, which is amazing. (laughs) You know, like then it really is about the content you produce. Mm -hmm. And that is what eventually I think the internet was even intended to like democratizing information mm-hmm. from people or, or, or parts, yeah, just people or groups or whatever, just valuable information from anywhere. That's what you're basically seeing right now. Yeah. Uh, it's much closer to meritocracy cool. than it's ever been before. And we're, I think we're going to keep getting closer and closer to that, like global meritocracy where anybody can enter, um, which is going to make so many lives better. Yeah. I, I I think so too. So and and what I also think is interesting, I thought about this uh, this morning that Twitter was kind of you know before the, the the NFT thing. I think Twitter was kind of like flatlining in some way, like not mm. really growing users, and also just the interaction or what people were talking about. I'm 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 very well aware of the fact that I'm in a bubble, <laughs> but still. But now it seems like you know we are not talking about this on LinkedIn or on Facebook, or on Instagram, like the premium visual platform, yeah. right? Uh, I just made a Twitter profile banner of my NFTs and people have it as their avatars. And, you know, like it's it's also kind of the like the the, the, the revival or second life of Twitter, I think. And and that's going to be even even bigger with the integrations that they're, um, that they're planning to. So um, yeah. I, I think that's also fun to see. Yeah, I think they're, um, I mean, I think Jack really gets this. And is like he's starting, I think they uh, were planning on doing a verification. So like your profile yeah. photo, if you own the NFT, it'll show as a verification. Um, they're already testing, sending Bitcoin. Tipping, right? Yeah, sending yeah. Bitcoin t- to tip. Um, yeah. Stuff like that. But it's that's the thing. Jack is like us. Yeah. He's, he's just a product nerd. He likes to like that. <laughs> I, I don't want to compare myself to Jack. I want to come. Well, whatever. You, get what I'm saying, you know. Like, no, I think like when when you hear him talk about this, yeah, it's not the billionaire founder guy talking. It's like the computer nerd, internet enthusiast talking. You yeah. know, and Dennis, I think yeah. he's, he's still super cool. He's still the nineteen year old hacker at heart. You know. Yeah, when uh, literally, I think of the of the part from the Hatching Twitter book where where it's about Jack, I think sitting in his car and and listening to the ambulance stuff or seeing the ambulances or whatever. Like that's where the Twitter idea originally or supposedly came from. Right? Like that's what I see, yeah. I visualize when I hear him talk about this stuff. So like, I don't know, just seeing all these opportunities. What can we build? And uh, you know, that is just super energizing too. Yeah. So it looked like you were building some stuff in in Web three. You launched an NFT collection. Yeah, <laughs> I actually um, like a month ago or something. I felt creative, so I made an NFT anthem rap song. I'm not a rapper, but whatever. <laughs> I just I, I showed you my pro my pro mic. I sold it for point one three three seven ETH. Nice. So that's a good uh, lead uh, number. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, this is the same example. Uh, I've been using OpenSea to to buy and sell NFTs to figure it out. And then at one point I thought, well, you know, experiencing it by using it. So I'm going to make a collection with like a name and then try to uh, 
to uh, to sell it or promote it or whatever, just to see and experience how it uh, how it works. Um, yeah, so I made a collection of from a paper that I found, which is called the uh, a color alphabet, hmm. and uh, it's by a color expert from Australia, and he investigated uh, the the question: Can you build an alphabet of colors that represent letters, and then can you read a text just by seeing blocks of the colors? So he created a color alphabet, uh, twenty six colors, obviously, and they are all named. Uh, their their name starts with the letter that they represent. So you have blue and wine and caramel and lime. Uh, and uh, yeah, I made an NFT collection of uh, of that. That's super cool. What's what is that? Uh, what is that process like? How do you how do you create an NFT collection? Yeah, it's actually super easy because um, you know the people that create like a ten thousand. Uh, a peace project mm-hmm. you have to write a contract for that right so you write uh, usually like a minting contract um i don't know how people do it with let's say a collection of a thousand i'm i'm assuming they do it too because manually adding a thousand pieces well you can actually do it so um uh on on open um but that's yeah that's what i use so i created a collection on open you can add items uh, just one by one. Yeah, I only had 26, so that's uh, that's uh, fairly easy. Mm. And then once you list them, OpenSea uh, mints them for you, then puts them on, um, I think, IPFS. So that's where the image is hosted. And then, yeah, it mints it into the contract they use. So it's not a custom contract. But yeah, did it exist? <laughs> then it's uh, <laughs> a real NFT, basically. And you can do all that on... Uh, on OpenSea, so that's uh, that's pretty cool. I mean, that sounds basically like listing something for sale on eBay. It's the same. Uh, it, it's as easy as that. Wow! Yeah. And they take care. So they write. They use the standard smart contract. They upload it to the interplanetary file system, which is the coolest fucking name in all of a the very Lama cool named uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, crypto space. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then and then um, yeah, you also set. The royalties, I think, by the way, that is something which was really cool uh, about NFTs. You know, I have the painting here. Yeah. Uh, I, I, a painting. I, I paid the uh, uh, paid the painter, but now if I resell it, I get all the money. And I think with NFTs, it's super interesting that you can add that, um, uh, you know, royalty, mm-hmm. royalty part so that, um, you know, the original creators also get a part of, uh, of future um uh, sales. So uh, yeah, that's amazing because there's some projects who earn millions each week just from the trades and that's how they fund the future development. So um, yeah, that's, that's I think, one of the main things that I think is really cool about NFTs too. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the ability, if nothing else about the blockchain were like the concept of a perpetual royalty alone, will I think is a radical change to not just the art world, but like every resale market that exists like why why would a car manufacturer not try to capture secondary sales of their own car or um like you can imagine almost anything in the world that will be whose ownership is digitally tracked to be um to be well if you apply that to a car for example right like there's there's a few cars that do a few hundred thousand miles Mm -hmm. but there's no incentive for a car maker to to make that even more or make that car even better because they they get money from from new sales so they don't care if your car breaks down after the warranty right so i also yeah. think that could perhaps incentivize just better products in general yeah um, because then it doesn't matter if, if a product exists into perpetuity if they get the royalties for it without doing any effort Sounds yeah. like free money, right? That's yeah. that's an amazing point, actually. Um, I hadn't considered the incentives of that, which is incredible. I mean, that's a huge boon for conservation and climate change, right? It's it stop this like disposable nature of everything from appliances to you know packaged food. Yeah. Um, so if, yeah, if we can get the the crypto uh, <laughs> environment discussion out of the way first, right? Yeah, don't worry. Whole, uh, yeah, the switch to proof of stake is coming <laughs> for Ethereum. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And yeah. we'll get there. Um, yeah. yeah. Big Bitcoin, I don't know, maybe not. But uh, yeah, there's definitely 
you know, it's it's not like our other uh, security and economic security models are are carbon neutral. Uh, so maybe maybe we can get there and we get renewable energy going. Um, thank you, by the way, to the Netherlands for you know building the shitload of windmills and helping us out with that. <laughs> I was I was just talking to somebody, an energy expert in the oh, yeah. Netherlands the other day, who's like, Netherlands is so far ahead of everybody else. They're basically like the pioneer, just taking arrows in the back to solve energy independence and like spread that technology to the rest of the world. Okay, I'm not really aware of that, but I will dig in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, what you know? What's really cool actually about Bitcoin? I read that uh, the oldest hydro. Uh, energy plants in the U.S. Mm-hmm. got t- turned back on to uh, mine Bitcoin. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, it's like from 1860 or something, and uh, cool. still works. And they're mining Bitcoin. So, yeah, um, I, I saw Bology. That's a fun incentive too. Yeah, nice I, incentive. I saw Bology talk about how like Bitcoin is actually a pretty decent. Um, it's like a currency battery. So, like instead of storing energy in a physical battery, you just put any unnecessary like a surplus energy that's generated into mining bitcoin that you can then sell to transact to buy more energy later it's just like evens out those curves yeah well that plus uh, i think michael michael saylor has said this a few times like there's Mm -hmm. countries in africa that have uh you know 90 percent of all days are sunny days yeah um but you can only trend and, and so you could generate electricity there from the sun and there's obviously there there's a lot of land yeah. uh, desert like land where you know there's no no one living so you could produce energy from the sun but you can o- only transport electricity electricity like 500 kilometers or something before it starts to um degrade yeah uh, be, yeah degrade so yeah he makes a good point of actually for those countries to translate the abundance of energy that they could actually you know capture into something, well, he calls it monetary energy. Um, But yeah, also that concept for me is just super, super interesting because yeah, then you can translate that that energy into money or something of value basically. So um, would also be interesting to see for those countries, like, you know, if that's uh, gonna work out for them. That's incredible. Um, Yeah. So this has been a, Super interesting conversation. As I as I had a hunch, it would be. Um, is is there anything that you're working on that's coming out soon that you are uh, down to down to tell us about? Uh, yeah, this is like the part where I plug myself, right? or or, <laughs> no. just, or just like give us a tease of what like uh, you know. Well, I mean, you've got I the color alphabet uh, out, but what else? Uh, what else is on your mind? Yeah, so that is that is just like a fun you know, quirky side project. But I think uh, the main thing is uh, seedrounds.eu. Mm. Uh, is that which is oh, Almost finished. Yeah, you can yeah. check out the website, but it's almost, uh, I just developed the website on live. I don't care. <laughs> so there's a few texts that aren't uh, aren't finished. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the, um, uh, like the sourcing and and and, and deal curation uh, service for uh, for investors. So I, I I want to be on that investor or at least the like the scouting sourcing side uh, more, which I just really like. I think as we talked about, just discovering what people are working on. Yeah. And then um, tied in with our uh, our interest for uh, curation, I'm working on a course on content curation. Mm. Um, so that's the other thing and. Um, yeah, if people want to follow those projects or, or, or follow what I'm doing, uh, I'm uh, Bram K, B-R-A-M-K on, uh, on Twitter. For the record, Bram told me I did not have to try to say his name with the Dutch R. I didn't Americanize it without permission. <laughs> but it's I fine, gave fine. it my best. But I gave it my best shot. Um, yeah. yeah. Dude, this uh, seed round thing is really cool. It's, uh, uh, I'm looking at the landing page now. It's It basically looks like what... Um, I mean, when AngelList started, it was it was an email list and kind of a landing page of opportunities. So, um, you know, just collecting and, and syndicating, like distributing some of these deals is, it can be super, super valuable. So, um, and I'm always looking for good uh, early stage investments. So I'm going to have to check this out. Cool. Dude, that, I'll let you know when it's live. Yeah, please, please. Um, this has been super fun. Thank you so much for, for taking the time um, and blowing my mind about tiny tiny acquisitions executed in ethereum um which is like <laughs> i don't know that seems like a fun a fun thing to go after and giving me even more faith that just like fucking around on the internet is a perfectly viable 
career path. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I think that if we have one TLDR, please put this in the Spotify description. Like fucking around on the internet can pay off. Now that like you see this with NFTs specifically, like that that's a perfect tagline, man. Yeah. That's, can we use that? <laughs> yeah, we can make that the title of the episode. The more the more fun you're having, the better you'll do. Let's let's roll with that. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Thanks. Good, Talk to you again soon. Thanks. Keep in touch. I appreciate you hanging out with us today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you both laughed and learned. One thing that jumped out to me from Brahm is that he seems to just always be doing whatever seems like fun to him at the time. Naval said, art is anything that is done for its own sake. So try to take a second, consider what you're doing in your own life that's for its own sake. Big or small, important or not, anything done for its own sake can be art. For me, it's often a sandwich. Take a few quiet moments for yourself, breathe deep, and be well. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.